Shameless Media. This episode of The Shameless Book Club is brought to you by Bailey's Irish Cream Liqueur, inspiring indulgence through me time moments. Hello and welcome to our December instalment of The Shameless Book Club. This month we read Green Dot by Australian author Madeline Gray. In this book we met Hera Stephen, a 20-something who is working as an underpaid comment moderator in an overly air-conditioned newsroom by day and kicking around Sydney with her two best friends by night. While everyone around her seems to have slipped effortlessly into adulthood, Hera is wondering if she's being left behind. Then she meets Arthur, an older married colleague. Intoxicated by the promise of ordinary happiness he represents, Hera falls headlong into a workplace romance that everyone, including her, knows is doomed to fail. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Sahani Gundilka, and today I am joined by the host of Everybody Has a Secret, Annabelle Lee. Hi. And Shameless Media's co-founder, Michelle Andrews. Howdy, g'day, or hello. All of the greetings. Hi, hi, hi. Hello. Hello. So before we get stuck into the book, let's do some author background. Mish, do you want to kick us off? Please. All right. So Madeline Gray, there's not a heap about her online, so the author background section will be brief. She is an arts writer and book critic from Sydney. This is her debut novel. According to Rush, the film rights for this debut, Green Dot, have already been snapped up by a British production company called Drama Republic and that happened before the book was released so it's one of those classic ones that clearly the editors and the people in the lit world who've read this knew it was a potential goldmine. God, job well done because they were right. This yeah. book, spoiler alert, is gold. <laughs> yeah. Like honestly and it's everywhere right now so good job snapping that one up. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking to Rush, Madeline said this about the kind of concept of affairs in this book. She said, I've been pretty obsessed with intergenerational affair novels for a long time. Why would someone like Hera, a queer young white woman who ostensibly could pick any path in the world, choose a boring old straight guy? Great question. (laughs) What are the kind of normative pulls that still try to get us, even though we know that they're a bad idea? Mm. God, she's good. Even when she speaks in interviews, she makes some poignant points. Well, you wouldn't know that, Sahani. You just spoke to her for an interview. I was lucky enough to interview Madeline for an episode that's already out, Mm. so you can have a listen now. We talked all about affairs, obviously, and she's got some very interesting opinions. I won't spoil Mm. the episode. Oh, I can't wait to listen to that. I know, me too. I actually, back to the like plot of this book, I know this is the author interview section, but it kind of makes sense as to why some of this book took place during COVID. Mm. I did a bit of a 180, I think, during this book when I was reading it about the whole concept of writing about COVID lockdowns Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I used to not like it, but I think it makes a lot of sense in the context of this book kind of being in that limbo state when you're having an affair and like not knowing if he's going to leave his wife, yada, yada, yada. It made sense when that all happened she was experiencing the thick of lockdown. And I was like, no, this is like weirdly symbolic. No, I agree Mm. because she wrote the book in lockdown. I mean, a lot of the details of Madeline's own life are mirrored in parts of this book. I know it's a fictional book and I'm sure the affair stuff is all fictional, but I did find it interesting that Madeline wrote it in COVID lockdown while working at a bookshop. Mm. She was also completing a PhD on autobiographical women's literary theory. 
that was done at the University of Manchester. So she also spent some time in the UK as well. She said that she deliberately chose to make the tone of this book witty and light and funny because, and I quote, I don't really like to read anything that isn't funny. I really wrote to just giggle at myself as a little companion. I love that you said that about COVID, Annabelle. Because if I'd read this last year, I probably would have been annoyed being like, just give me some relief from COVID. I don't want to read books Mm -hmm. about COVID. I think I've had enough distance from it now that I actually, in a nostalgic way and an important way, I do enjoy books that touch on this time because Mm. I'm like, it it did happen. We're mostly recovering from it now. Yeah. And we'll never forget that point in time. Mm. So it is kind of nostalgic, as you say, reading that experience of not being able to be with anyone physically. Mm. I also think it's really important to process those things. Like Mm. we probably were in the heat of trauma. (laughs) So now like having like getting to read all these books that like articulate what we felt years ago is probably really cathartic. Mm. One small thing on the COVID thing though, whenever Hera was experiencing Sydney lockdown and saying, oh, it's pretty chill, like, <laughs> it's sunny, people are going to the beach, we're getting coffees. I'm like, fuck you, Hera. You should have been in Melbourne, Sydney privilege. I'm angry, I'm angry at a fictional Sydney idea. <laughs> all right, speaking of Hera, do you want to jump straight into characters, Annabelle? Yes. I loved Hera. Oddly, I thought she was kind of charming and it was refreshing to read to a point. And then I started <laughs> to realise that oh, it's a bit harsh to say there was no real character arc there. And I mean that in terms of self-improvement, though there was that bit at the end. There was no character development. No character very, development. very, little. Yeah. And so then she starts to become kind of grating to read when you want to shake her. But mm. I guess that's the whole point. Regardless, in terms of entertaining narrators, I thought she made for a great one. I thought she was the perfect mix of self-indulgent critical Mm. of other people Mm. and also insecure. Like she had a lot of anxieties, internal anxieties that didn't really come to the surface when she was communicating with other people, but they lived within her. Wasn't it interesting Mm. that in some regards she was very relatable and approachable? I did love that she, I don't know, found kind of silly, sugary content things enjoyable. Like Mm. she referenced, Mm. like I think it was Bridget Jones and she referenced reality shows and all that kind of stuff that I happen to love. And I loved that about her as a character, that she had this depth, that she wasn't just extremely intelligent she did have this side of her but then I had moments with Hera and it's funny because I can't actually name them now but I definitely had this thought occurring multiple times as I read the book that she was a bit arrogant and a bit condescending Mm, towards other people and while I struggled with that while I didn't love that about her I found it accurate as a portrayal of who this person was. It added like a certain depth, this arrogance about life added depth to her. Mm. I remember you doing an interview with Diana Reid about how self-awareness doesn't mean you're actually a good person. Yeah. And I was thinking about that a lot while I was reading. I think Madeline does a really good job of towing the line between self-awareness and self-delusion as well as being very like anti-capitalist at the beginning, Mm. very anti-traditional and like not liking the monotony of everyday life. But then she really craves all of that in Arthur Mm. and it still made sense. Well, I know, I feel like there are so many young women who theoretically believe what they believe and when it's conceptual and it's in books and it's Mm. in their mind, they believe these things. But then the real world and their real world actions indicate the opposite yeah Yeah. we're all walking contradictions (laughs) like and that's what was kind of relatable in Hera but I agree with you Mish that though some of her thoughts and her internal monologue was a little relatable she often took it a step too far even in her actions if she thought something about someone she would like say it (laughs) or say it in like the most offensive way and it was like girl girl (laughs) Hera I 
loved the exploration of her desperation to feel something. I felt like that was the perfect... It was the perfect explanation I needed as to why she would have this affair. On page 139, she was kind of grappling with the idea that she'd just had sex with a man who was in a long-term relationship. I don't think she'd yet found out that Arthur was married. And this was her internal monologue. My decision to continue is a difficult thing to come to terms with, maybe. Perhaps you'll suggest that I should have halted at this point, as it would have been the ethical thing to do and it would have protected my feelings. But what I really wanted was feelings to protect, and here they were, so I would go on. Like, of course, this is a woman who's desperate. She's so despondent about the world and her place within it, and she feels like life is passing her by. Of course she's going to grasp onto the one thing that makes her feel alive. Yeah. Mm. It's validation for me. Like, and I think it's not just in her romantic relationships, but there's a line in the book that says, I have never wanted a job as much as I have wanted job offers. And lines like that indicate to me that Hera's desire to feel valued and wanted outweigh almost everything else. There was another passage on page 149 where she said, I have never wanted to be a mistress. Adultery has not been on my 20s bingo card but I do want love who doesn't. I want to fall in love with someone who loves me back and here I am falling. So I decide. Standing in this dank alleyway, I decide I'll settle for a sliver of the love that I want in the hope that one day soon there will be space for it to become more. Perhaps you think this makes me weak, pitiable even, but experience has taught me that I rarely care enough about anyone romantically and here is this man whom I do care about very much and he's offering me some of himself. Why would I choose the potentiality of nothing if there is a chance that I can have something. She's attaching like her personhood and her value to what a man thinks of her Mm. and like there is like the the other option is that nothing. Is she doing that? Is she attaching her personhood to the idea of a man loving her or is she just saying I never feel anything and I am in love with this person and it is a 5% chance that he'll end up giving me all of himself but why would I not roll the dice on the 5% when the other alternative is rolling a dice on 0%. Yeah, it's like, why would I not, again, not excusing the affair, (laughs) but why would I not ride the wave when this could potentially, even a sliver of a potential, turn into something? What's the saying? I would rather have loved and lost than never loved at all. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but I think my issue with it is she's putting all her hope in a man and has no hope in herself. Mm. Like... Stop, like, no. (laughs) I'm so frustrated by that. Well, that's what I thought Madeline did really well, was she wrote about, and maybe this has something to do with her keen interest in, like, intergenerational affairs. I don't know if you guys spoke much to this, Sahani, in your interview, but I felt like she told the story brilliantly of falling kind of easily into this really intense but morally bad relationship. Mm. Because don't you think it felt easy? There was this line near the end of the book where Hera says that the transition from lust to love to love love just happened in a blink of an eye and she didn't even see it coming. And then what I thought was ironic was the way out of that was so, so complicated when realistically that should be the easy thing, breaking up with someone who's in a marriage, who's got a kid, that should be easy, but it's not. And I felt like that was explained to us or that story was told to us so clearly. What did we think about the justification? I feel like Hera really relied on this justification to herself that she didn't know he was in a relationship when they first slept together. She didn't know he had a wife when she was in the early stages of falling for him. And therefore, instead of feeling angry at Arthur about that, she used it as some kind of green tick next to herself to go, well, I didn't know and now I can't help it. I'm in too deep. So here I am. What did we think about that justification? Well, when she found out he was 
married. That was pretty early on, right? That was It like, was after they'd slept together yeah. once. And it was a little thing where she acknowledged like, oh, so she's a wife. Great. Like they're married. But then she kind of just moved on. It was brushed I, over. It was absolutely brushed quickly. over. Yeah. I don't feel like he was challenged all that no. much. No. And she like deliberately wanted to hear less about Kate. Like yeah. she was like, she asked questions and framed things in a way that that really like you couldn't tell who Kate was. Mm. And she even says, I didn't want to know. Mm. Like, yeah. I think she wanted that. What did we think about the moments where she just behaved really fucking poorly? Like when the beloved dog died, her dad's <gasps> dog died and she essentially abandoned her dad. Like she essentially just left him alone to grieve. And I was like, oh my God, your dad needs you and he's been there the whole time and you're choosing this pathetic excuse of a man in Arthur. It wasn't even to meet up with him. From memory, it was to leave her time open to potentially yes. meet up oh, with him. To like, right. hopefully he has time to see me. That broke my heart. Her dad, while he wasn't a main character, I felt so sorry for him and I loved their relationship. A king. He a was king. a king. Yeah. <laughs> At the start of the book when Hera was talking about how, you know, they eat packet ravioli. Yeah, the pasta dish. The pasta was gorgeous. We really reminded me of Bella Swan and her dad's Terrible, terrible, like, comparison, but I love you. <laughs> it's like that unspoken Bella love. Swan. <laughs> I haven't thought about Bella Swan's dad. It's <laughs> Charlie. Charlie. <laughs> Is this your Roman Empire? You yeah. Think about Every damn day I think about it. <laughs> I did really love Hera's relationship with her dad. Yeah. I thought it was the heart of the book as well. Mm. I actually mentioned this in the interview, and I think a lot of the time when books have morally grey characters, they are written to have, quote, unquote, daddy issues. So to see like this narrative rewritten in a different way because like that narrative so tired and so mm. sexist mm. if anything I think her dad was like so many good things about Hera come from her dad and her yeah. dad's love and I love seeing that in a book like this woman is morally grey but it's not to do with her dad no 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 it's her <laughs> mom instead <laughs> it's her mom which we never got answers about but I actually kind of enjoyed that mm. I liked that it was left as a little bit of a question mark for the mm. readers to consider I think the word abuse was thrown in right at the yeah. end and I thought that was really powerful that even by the end she wasn't ready to really let anyone including the reader into what her mum was like. I think a strength of this book was how few characters there were. I mean we've talked about her, we've talked about her dad. Shall we briefly talk about Arthur? Oh, I actually have like one sentence and it, <laughs> it is Sahani read this and laughed. Arthur is a pathetic little man. <laughs> that's all I read before and I think that's all I needed to know. <laughs> one thing I listened to the audiobook of this and the audiobook narrator did such a good job. I want to make that clear. I think the way she presented Arthur was kind of perfect because by the end, he made my skin crawl. Like mm. in the early bits, I was like, ooh, like a fair, steamy, saucy, maybe a sexy guy. And by the end, the way the audiobook narrator was saying, Hera. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I would hear it and be like, ooh, you're a coward. I also listened to this on audiobook or like a hybrid of audiobook and reading or sometimes at the same time, which Sahani, I know yeah. you do. Well. I had no idea anyone does this. So you guys were plugged into the audiobook and reading the book at the same time. So I read on 1.5 or 1.7 speed. As wow. do I. That's the pace of how I read. Yep. yep. So I have it on while I'm reading because it helps me concentrate. This is fascinating stuff. People do this. People do is this. this. Is this Gen Z? <laughs> <laughs> oh, not it's giving again. <laughs> not to shame you guys. It's giving Gen Z. You're like, it's giving stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I love you guys. You guys are very intelligent. I, 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 
span is very short. I was, uh, yeah, I think it's giving slight attention span things because the thought of having something in my ears as I have it in my eyes is a lot. It's because I can read fine on its own, but I kind of need to be like at home on the couch without okay, anything else going okay. on. I can't really, generally speaking, listen to an audiobook without getting distracted. Oh, yes. I have to be audiobook for me exercising or um, driving somewhere. Right, yeah. But then I love an audiobook. I would say it's maybe becoming my favourite way. Or cooking is another great yeah. way to listen. But if I'm just doing nothing and the sound's on, of course my little brain will be like, oh, shiny thing in the corner. <laughs> See, I don't do those three things. I don't You don't cook, cook exercise, <laughs> or drive. Yeah, exactly. So I just can't do audiobooks. What do you do? <laughs> a lot of this, a lot of talking. But like, I will say, though, listening to Arthur being narrated on 1.7 speed is really funny because he sounds <laughs> so pathetic. <laughs> like, really why are you, Arthur, why are you talking that fast? It's really embarrassing. <laughs> no, but I did hate him and I thought that everything he did, I hated <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't like him and I thought that naming his kid Macy, just one of the shitty things he did, was honestly It was very up. Adam Levine-like. So Adam right. Levine. Because he was playing both of them and I just wanted to shake Hera when she was like, oh my God, he chose my name. Guys, Yay. I was, okay, this moment... The entire part, once the baby had arrived and he was fucking taking the baby to see his mistress or sending photos of the baby from the hospital while his wife was probably in bed with like a maternity pad on. I was listening to this as I was fake tanning in my bathroom (laughs) and I was so disturbed. I had realized that at one point I had just left a big streak of fake tan on my arm and I was staring off into the distance being like, he didn't. (laughs) He didn't. Like I couldn't believe it had affected me so much that I had like completely lost track of what I was doing staring off into space being like, fuck you, Arthur. Literally. It was so, so annoying. And the fact that he was like, and I talk to her about you sometimes. Like, are the you- baby. Uh, yeah, the I tell baby. the baby about my mistress. Do you think also, that's true? Do you think he's lying to her? Well, he's a fictional character. Do you think he's true? Just to clarify, he doesn't exist. <laughs> but I found like such a visceral response to this stuff, it's really testament to how well the book was written. Absolutely. We'll talk more about that after the break when we discuss strengths and weaknesses. Guys, it is officially 2024. Can you believe we are here already? The lead up to the end of the year can always feel like such a rush running around to get things done. But now that's over, I just cannot wait to enjoy the break. Yeah, Mish, I couldn't agree more. I love this time before we head back into the office. It's a great opportunity to spend time with friends and family, but also take moments for ourselves. Yeah, this time of year is actually when I read the most too. When I'm in Melbourne over summer, I love to sit outside and lap up the sun whilst getting through a good book. And of course, Bailey's Irish cream liqueur is my drink of choice whilst having a me time moment. Yeah, Mish, I stumbled upon the ice latte with biscuit spread recipe from Bailey's and my goodness, is it good. It's the most heavenly ice latte that incorporates some of my favourite things, biscuit spread and Bailey's. And if you want a little more decadence, may I tempt you by suggesting you add a little whipped cream and crumbed biscuits on top. That sounds so good. Another delish holiday treat is the Bailey's tiramisu flavoured liqueur over ice, best for when the sun is out. If you are over 18 and looking for an indulgent treat, jump online or head in store to your liquor retailer and shop Bailey's. Remember to drink responsibly. Thank you so much to Bailey's for making this episode of the Shameless Book Club possible.
All right, it's strengths and weaknesses time. Mish, do you want to kick us off with a weakness? I will. The first 50 pages, I just could have done without. As I said, I was listening by audiobook. I have also read parts of this in physical version, but I was listening to the first maybe hour as I was driving and it did occur to me on multiple occasions, have I clicked on the right book? Like, is this the book about the affair stuff? Because we're just so deep into high school and work and capitalism v socialism and and I understand all of those topics can be really interesting. I think my gripe with this was that I found it exhausting. I feel like this could have been a theme that was already interlaced in the story. I feel like we almost didn't get any narrative. We were just getting thematic chat Mm. and then the narrative began once she started working at the media company. I just felt like the first 50 pages didn't do the book justice and if I was the editor I would have said cut these like Mm. cut these they're not as strong once you get into the good stuff the good stuff is golden but it feels laborious getting there. Was there a point that it like turned around for you? Yeah 50 pages in. (laughs) (laughs) Once once she um, was interviewing for the job and she was you know talking to the interviewers and she was very sassy and funny about like you know wanting the job and having to perform to get the job I really felt like we could have started there. Mm. That was such I could visualize it it was so strong it was really witty and pacey. The rest of the stuff that was covered between page 1 and 49 could have been interlaced throughout the rest. Yeah, I see what you're saying. The first 50 pages did maybe feel like it could have served better on like a different kind of book, not an affair book. But Mm. I quite enjoyed it. I felt like it set up my expectation of who Hera was. Okay. Mm. And maybe it was because I listened to it on 1.7 speed. (laughs) Those 50 pages I wasn't. I was on one speed. One. (laughs) I've never done that before. One. God. I just simply don't have the time. (laughs) Generational divides. We simply don't understand each other. (laughs) I actually, interestingly, don't have any weaknesses written down. I do have this little passage that I read in that same Rush interview that I found really interesting and I just wanted to know what you guys thought of it. It reads, this book is intentionally navel-gazing. How could it not be when the condition of being a millennial means always having your own face reflected back at you while you pain over the green dot, that hypnotic breathing sign of life behind the internet? Which I think is implying that like maybe simply by way of us all being on the internet, we're all a bit navel-gazy and I'm a bit like, oh, Exposed. Mm. <laughs> Feeling a bit exposed. I really, really loved the symbolism of the green dot. Yeah. I adored it. One it of the cleverest so... names of a book that I, or like titles of a yeah. book I've come across. So good. And I don't know if this was deliberate or not. I'm kicking myself that I didn't actually ask her this, <laughs> but I don't know if this is a coincidence, but like I kept thinking of the green light in The Great Gatsby. Oh, and oh that's smart. So in both books, it's a symbol of like unhealthy desperation rather than love. And also the desire for something that's completely unattainable. And I thought that was so clever. Mm. And I was like, wow. If that wasn't the intention, smart of you to pick that up. Yeah, Yeah, really, really cool. Do you have another weakness, Mish? I do. One last one. There was a line in the Guardian's review of Green Dot that rang true for me. It read, beneath the novel's humour and sass lies an incredibly bleak worldview that feels at odds with the novel's lighthearted tone and rom-com trappings. Maybe that links to what I said earlier, but I did feel that part of this book left me feeling a little empty just by design of Hera. I don't know. It felt like she really didn't grab life by the balls. I Mm. wish I had a less sexist way to phrase that. She didn't grab life by anything and really run with it. Like she didn't have this can-do attitude. And even though I don't need to love protagonists, I feel like it might have been a little bit more of a fulfilling read if we had a little taste of that by the end. I feel like she really was this quite bleak, 
gray inside person for a lot of this book. And then we finished it and we're like, okay, she's cutting him out of her life, but she still has that same bleakness. It just felt a bit blah. That was the one weakness I had written down. I just despised the ending. I was Mm. so, so like frustrated and sad that there wasn't any like character development or change in their dynamic or their relationship. Mm. I was like, what what have you been doing these last couple of years that you're still have this relationship with this man that's refusing to leave his wife. Mm. See, I quite liked it, but I felt the same. Like I was disappointed that their dynamic and the way they interacted with each other after all those years. Was it years? A couple of years had gone by. Yeah, because it was, Maisie was a toddler. Yeah, she was a kid. The fact that nothing changed and it was the same old, same old was frustrating for sure. But then I was like, maybe that happened. Maybe it's reality. I would have loved for Kate to be there. I would have, I was really thinking that when they saw each other, I think it was at the beach or a park, that Hera would have seen Arthur and in the distance, Kate would have seen them both or mm. something. Like, I feel like Kate, I understand why maybe Madeline Gray didn't want to involve Kate. But I would have loved that for Kate. I would have loved for Kate to have any kind of agency or vision into the actual situation. Mm. Because I I found it, like, I found my brain constantly wondering after I finished this book, what did Arthur tell Kate? Did mm, he tell her the yeah. full picture? Did he tell her, hey, by the way, two days after I, or three days after I told you I was having this affair, I went and fucked my mistress Mm. while you were depressed. Like, did he say I had her in our home? I've introduced her to our baby. Like that's the strength of the book in that I I cared so deeply and Mm. I wanted more details about these people who literally don't exist beyond words on a page. I think Madeline did that on purpose though because I think all of those questions you raise, usually in books and pop culture, the wife is the one that's centred and her feelings are the ones Mm. that you see the most of. And the other woman, quote unquote, is on the sidelines and Mm. you don't get to know what she hears, what she feels, what she thinks. So I think Madeline has done this on purpose Mm. to be like, well, this is how it normally is like for the other woman. Yeah. And also I felt like there was also a possibility that Arthur didn't tell her a single thing. I thought the same. I was like, imagine if all of this is fictitious, yeah. that he is trying to tell her, oh, I told her it's been really, really hard. But how do how can we trust that that's true? How mm. can we also trust that this is his first and only affair? I don't. I, I found myself wondering that. I was yeah. like, this guy is pretty fucking callous. For someone mm. who's having his first ever affair, has been with his wife for 20 years, having their first baby, and all of a sudden he's inviting her around. It just feels so out of pocket. The way he was behaving, surely this wasn't his first time. And the way he was speaking to her, it felt like he'd done it before. Like he knew what to say at certain moments. Like he knew when Hera told him that her dog died, that that was the moment that he would be like, no, I'm going to come to you and make her feel special. Like it just felt like this formula, this sick formula. I hated it. I hated him. What I did love though was I'm trying to pivot to strength. You didn't notice? Uh, I think you did a <laughs> Speaking of loving things, I love <laughs> Madeline's writing, obviously. Oh she wrote in such a zippy way. Zesty. It, zesty. Mm. For example, the little bits where she was like, let me explain. You yeah. know, it really broke it up. I feel like it was kind of this like Tony circuit breaker in the form of a sentence that really like caught me off guard a little bit. And I will say it was better to read those lines in the book rather than listen to them in the audiobook. Yeah, I thought it was exceptional writing, super easy to follow, but also sometimes sentences would just take you in a direction you didn't expect. And it was fun. Like this is a fun book to read. Yeah, I felt so much while I was reading this book. There was like a particular passage that I have since sent to so many of my friends. Ah. (laughs) And so I'm going to read it out. I think a lot of women have been in a position where they tell a man that they've hurt them and the man gives them absolutely nothing and I think (laughs) yeah and I think she describes it so well I summon the courage and I say imagine if you didn't have to go 
Imagine if we could rest now. The pain in his expression is real. He tells me he's sorry that he knows this is all so unfair. You deserve that so much, Hera, he says. It's like when you fall over on the street and you're fine. You're holding it together. But then a stranger asks if you're okay. And with that shred of kindness, with that acknowledgement from another person that you've experienced a bad thing, you just start crying. You can't help it. It's like the first therapy session with the shrink when you matter-of-factly tell them every awful thing that's ever happened to you and you do it professionally. You do it like you're reciting a grocery list and then they say, it sounds like you've been through a lot and that's it, you're done for, you're a mess of tears. Arthur's acknowledgement that this is unfair dislodges a block in my defensive wall for a moment and I silently start to cry. Oh my God, it was so well written. Yeah. I actually had to pause the audiobook and be like, oh my God. You're right, everyone can relate to that feeling. Yeah. Also the, the whole like, you deserve better, just oh massive yeah. eye roll, well then do better. Yeah, another strength I really enjoyed was the exploration of friendship in Absolutely. this novel as yeah. well. I really enjoyed her two best friends, Sarah was it Sarah and Soph? Sarah and, Soph. Sarah and yeah. Soph. I really enjoyed that dynamic and how that was explored. I really, really fucking enjoyed the dinner party scene. Oh where my god! Yes, I, I think that was crucial to this novel that there was that exploration, albeit quite a brief one, in that interaction with her friends where they were eating an otolingi spread. I also love that. <laughs> like the zeitgeist he mentions in this book were also really delicious. Mm. And the comment about like young people would never know how to cook if not for yes, otolingi. Yes. <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> so I love that there was the exploration of Angela who did this really awful thing at work to her subordinate and then coupling that with Angela confronting Hera about her actively having an affair with a man who wasn't only married but had a baby on the way. I found myself listening to that as it was read out in the audiobook being like, wow, what do I think? Obviously, Angela is morally bankrupt to do that in a work setting for a junior employee. Like, there's just no excusing it. But it was interesting to me that Hera still, when she was confronted with that, and then confronted with her own affair. I don't know, it was interesting that the group was like, Angela, you need to leave, yeah. you need to get out. I don't know, I kind of sat with it and was like, maybe maybe that's fair, maybe that makes sense. But also, could we unpack maybe to our friends why mm. that is quite problematic and the fact that there's a baby on the way is really, really morally murky? And that Hera felt in that social interaction kind of hard done by that mm. Angela had called her out when she reckoned in herself that she was also doing something morally iffy, yeah. more than iffy. But I just found it interesting that if I was in that scenario, it would have played out so differently because I think we would have just brushed over it. Yeah. Like Angela, because we've all been in that situation where someone in a group takes it a little too far. Like Angela yeah. didn't yeah. really get the brief no. and then she just went the other way with it. I feel like it could have easily just blown over and everyone could have been like, oh, yeah. and then just kind of yeah. moved on. So I found the way that Madeline painted those relatably social, awkward interactions really well. Even like job interviews, yeah. that rupee core joke not landing. Yeah. Yeah. It was all just like so vivid. And while that has never happened to me, I'm like similar things yeah. I can recall. Yeah, I think she does a really good job of that. But in terms of like that dinner party, I actually still don't know how I feel about it because mm. I think what Soph and Sarah did was the right thing to do to support their friend. I also don't think Hera knew that everyone else knew. But I I felt like Hera should have explored that to be like, wait, who's talking? Like, are Soph and Sarah going and gossiping about this, which is totally fair enough. And also, <laughs> I absolutely would too, probably. But there was no, like, I was surprised it wasn't just even a line to be like, wait, how does Angela know? It was just like, oh, everyone knows. But I wouldn't yeah. have wanted to keep talking about it. I wouldn't yeah. have wanted to probe and be like, wait, what do you mean? How do you know? No, 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 but not even to ask Angela that. There was no internal monologue to right. be like, wait, how does Angela? Right. I think there was a very slight one, okay. but she didn't elaborate Okay, much. maybe right. I needed yeah. a little bit more. 
I feel like being a good friend in that moment from Soph and Sarah could have been interjecting and be like, leave her alone. Like, you don't know about the situation. You don't need to agree with it. Don't put her on the spot in front of everyone. Mm. The, the act of, like, kicking her out of the party and sending her home, I don't think I would do that. No, yeah. I wouldn't, especially because it was likely Soph or Sarah that told Angela or, like, yeah. likely them yeah, that that's the reason why. Yeah, that's why I was like, why. what if you're a rat? So <laughs> Angela, you need to leave. This is all your fault. <laughs> no, I found Soph and Sarah and their friendship with Hera really interesting as well. And I thought it was like lovely, but I just found it fascinating because there were times where Hera wasn't the best friend to them. Like when she went to London she and was like a just shitty friend. Yeah. She was like, I was be... kind of planning on ghosting you bitches. Actually. <laughs> yeah. Yet Soph and Sarah were kind of in her corner the whole time. But even still, I found I imagine the way that I would handle this if I was Soph and Sarah and my friend was dating a married guy who was about to have a child. I imagine that I would probably handle it the same way, kind of a little gently because you can't tell someone how to live their life. Mm. But also sometimes I was like, can we not be a little little more pointed about how fucked this is? I mean, mm. if if Hera is sending photos of the baby in the group chat right? and thinks that that's something that is appropriate or going to be yeah. accepted or going to be enforced, you have not made your position clear enough. Mm. Like I think friends owe it to each other to make the positioning clear Hmm. and then kind of let their friend make their own mistakes. But the fact that Soph and Sarah had kind of said it, kind of made her feel it, but not enough where, unless Hera was completely unself-aware. She got so deep into this affair, she completely lost grasp Hmm. of reality. The fact she sent them a photo of Maisie in the group chat, I like, I would literally leave the group Mm, chat probably or be like, dude, what the fuck? Like, dude, like this is getting really icky. And also don't involve us. And then, yeah, but then instead they like love reacted the photo. And it's like, I don't think you're doing <laughs> your job weird. here. Yeah. Yeah. That's objectively weird. Like, and not the thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Like don't force feed. Like don't make someone action the way yeah. you feel about their life. But you got to tell them. Just leave it. Yeah. I reckon what I would do is I would either be like, uh, not the vibe. Or I would not say anything. I wouldn't say anything. Not the vibe is so funny. (laughs) (laughs) Not the vibe, bestie. (laughs) Yeah, I just wouldn't say a thing. I would leave it. It's just, oh, it's so uncomfortable. I do really empathise with them, though, because I feel like everyone has had friends who date partners that they don't like. And it is, like, such a tricky balance of, like, you don't want to be too, like, harsh on them because then if things do go extremely bad with Hera and her relationship... It's important that she has you to turn to. Yeah. Like, so she doesn't feel isolated. Mm. It's just a really tricky balance. But I do think, like, telling Angela to leave was a bit, yeah. <laughs> a bit much. Like, you're so confrontational, you'll tell Angela to leave, exactly. but you still heart react the mistress sending you, like, the baby yeah. photo. Yeah. And also, not liking your friend's partner is different to your friend partaking in an affair. Like, by you telling yeah, Hera. An affair where there's a brand new fresh baby involved. literally yeah like you telling Hera hey this is like not okay yeah means that hopefully it gets through to her because she is half of the problem Hera was calling herself the stepmom there's like a like, <laughs> oh my which God. is I mean like Maisie's here like my stepdaughter has arrived I'm like woman please <laughs> therapy <laughs> therapy <laughs> okay let's move on to ratings <laughs> all right Annabelle give me your rating I am going to rate this book a five. Whoa. <gasps> Just not a single weakness. And also, all things considered, the things being considered being. <laughs> I read this. I was trying to rush it because I knew we had to record this <laughs> When did you finish it? A couple nights ago. Oh. But I, I actually did finish it in a day. I thought you were going to say a couple of hours. <laughs> a, couple of, a couple of seconds ago. No, the fact that I was rushing it and I still enjoyed it, I think means that it was like a solid banger read for me. What yeah. about you, Mish? 
A four. <laughs> What's a four? <laughs> a four. Yeah. It's a four. <laughs> it's a four. Uh, I really, really, really enjoyed it. I think this book had a tough task in that it was following up Good Material by Dolly Alderton, which Ooh. is officially one of my favorite books I've ever read. This is a banger book. Highly, highly recommend to anyone in our demo who thinks they might enjoy it. I think it's a very easy, beautifully done read. First 50 pages were a pretty significant weakness for me, so minus a star for that. What about you, Sahani? Yeah, mine's going to be a four as well. I thought it was such a fast book to read. I read it in a couple of hours as well. My only thing is, I think I've mentioned this on book club before, but I find the age gap like a quite a tired dynamic I feel like I've read a lot of books like that and I think I'm over reading books like that especially like the age gap and then the the socialism conversation capitalism conversation it felt quite reminiscent of books that I've read over the last four or five years exactly so I just thought I didn't think about this book as much as I would have liked because I've Mm. already had these conversations Mm. with myself and in my head before okay Okay. so four for me but still a really good summary really decent book I really love reading Australian authors this is a great Australian book and I'm happy that we can do it on the book club yeah and it reads like Madeline is a seasoned novel writer like she the fact this is a debut book is honestly astounding brava 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 guys next month on the shameless book club it is the beginning of 2024 and we are kicking off with tom lake the luminous new novel from ann patchett in the spring of 2020 lara's three daughters return to the family's orchard while picking cherries they beg their mother to tell them the story of peter duke a famous actor with whom she shared both a stage and a romance years before a theater company called tom lake as lara recalls the past her daughters examine their own lives and relationship with their mother and are forced to reconsider the world and everything they thought they knew. Tom Lake is a meditation on youthful love, married love, and the lives parents have led before their children were born. It explores what it means to be happy even when the world is falling apart. Doesn't it just sound like the perfect summer read? Make sure you pick up Tom Lake now and read along with us in January. That's all, guys. The other last little note is in 2024, we're moving to a Tuesday schedule. So keep your eyes peeled on Tuesdays. We will be dropping book club episodes more often than we don't. We'll see you then. Happy reading. Happy New Year. We'll be back in your feed soon. Bye. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. 
there is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.